0: Hello and welcome to the Scottish Farm Advisory Service podcast. I'm Mary Jane Laurie and this is the first Women in Agriculture podcast. The Farm Advisory Service run 11 women in agriculture discussion groups across Scotland to which all women who are involved with agriculture are welcome. You can find out more about FAS and the work we're doing with women in agriculture on our website www.fas.scot or if you need advice call our helpline on 0300 323 zero one six one. For this first podcast I've come to Baddingscale Farm in West Linton in the Scottish Borders. The farm is owned and run by the Marshall family and today I've come to meet Elaine Marshall, her daughter in law Anna and Shepherdess Josephine Holbrook. Baddingscale is an upland sheep farm and they have diversified to sell their own meat boxes direct to the consumer. They have a brilliant social media presence which not only engages their customers, but educates the public about the farm and the work that goes into producing their meat. So hello ladies, and thank you for agreeing to be our first guest on the Women in Agriculture podcast. Glad to be here. Can we start by introducing uh, ourselves? So
1: Elaine, do you want to go first? Yes, well my name is Elaine. I'm a mum and a granny, and I'm involved in the admin and management side of and Skill. And in fact, in every aspect of, of the farm, I have a great job, which is different every day. Sometimes I'll be out helping Josie with animals, or I'll be in the office dealing with tenancies. Every day is different, and every day is exciting, and we have a great community here. Great,
2: Anna. I'm Anna Marshall. I'm Elaine's daughter-in-law, married to her eldest son, Nick. I grew up in Edinburgh, not a farming background at all. I met Nick through sailing when we were teenagers, and I've been living on the farm now. For about eight years, I only recently sort of became formally involved in any of the farm activities uh, through our land box that you mentioned in your introduction.
3: And Josie? I'm Josie and I like sheep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not from a farming background but trained as a vet. I've been the shepherd here for three years and it was the best decision I've ever made to trade surgical scrubs for mud dogs, cattle and sheep. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's a good introduction. We need to get to know you all a little bit and a little bit about the farm. So can you give us a bit of a description about the farm? Elaine, you're probably the best person to
1: do this. My background is not in agriculture either. Um, I was brought up in Argentina, okay. married a Scot, and found myself living in Scotland and have been living at Badensgill for the last 27 years or so. Mm-hmm. Badensgill is a hill farm. It's four thousand acres, mm-hmm. mainly moorland, heather, peat bog—a very special place to all of us. Quite difficult, uh, a difficult farm, I would say. Would you agree, Jersey?
3: Yeah, <laughs> yes. I don't have the experience beyond that, <laughs> but uh, it definitely has its challenges.
1: Yes, it's not. Uh, productive arable farm. It only has 80 acres of in by fields, about 130 acres of woodland and the rest is moorland and open ground. But it it supports quite a, a community. We have eight houses, eight households living here, four generations. Some of us work on the farm but everyone who works on the farm only works part time on the farm. Everyone has other jobs. So your husband and your son? Yes, and yes we, our farm diversification is a forestry business, which is a thriving business and fits in very well with the farm. Yeah. But it, it keeps us quite busy, so, so we have two, two jobs. and Anna, you have another job. As I well. have another job and I also
2: have a daughter. Josie's got a son as well as her job. It's uh, we've all got multiple hats that we wear depending on which hour of the day it is. There is a reason that we can be here today, and that is because um, my sister-in-law Laura has has all the children and taken them <laughs> to the village baby group this morning. So she's got four children, three planets, and, really? uh, three and under. <laughs> she's, she's
1: <laughs> they're not, not all six months pregnant. Yeah, yeah, so she <laughs>
2: <laughs> so she's she's super good with her Yeah, care so care. I yeah. think that's an important point. None of us could manage any of the stuff that we do if we didn't also work as a community to take care of each other's children. And Elaine looks after the children on a regular basis whenever we need to. She's always happy to take them. Josie and Laura share childcare. I and Laura share childcare. Um, it really does take a village to raise a child. <laughs> yeah, and that's <laughs> great that you've got that community and that
0: support because when it's such a big, big place, isn't it? There's... Lots of times you'll be presumably out in the hills, you'll see you can't take. Yeah, there's been small days where
3: where I feel I really the sheep really need me where it's been snowing or hailing, and you can't take a three year old out in conditions like those, and so yeah. I just go knock on Laura's door and, and she's just always taking him no but, well, or even Anna.
1: Yes, yeah, pouring with
3: rain <laughs> Saturday <laughs> morning at six o'clock when they're still in their pajamas. I <laughs> have my baby.
1: <laughs> <And> it's <laughs> lovely for the children to grow up yeah together it's lovely for me to have them around I think when I my children were little my mother was in Argentina she didn't get to mm-hmm. see yeah. her grandchildren I get to see my grandchildren every day yeah. so it's just a delight having yeah the and my mother-in-law is 91 she's part of our community as well mm-hmm. and because we're all here She's able to live independently in her own house which is great. with plenty of family members round about. And the good news is this year we're expecting two more bad skill babies on the farm. That's great. Just
0: to talk a little bit more about each of your roles on the farm, because you've obviously all got very different roles, it sounds like they all overlap a little bit, especially around the childcare situation, but, Elena, if we start with you, you, you sort of do the
1: farm bookwork, so what does that involve? The farm has about... I would say five separate enterprises which run concurrently. We have the sheep mm-hmm. enterprise and the cattle, which are really looked after by, by Jersey. And we have eight houses, mm-hmm. which all need upkeep. So we have mm-hmm. family members living in, in some. We have tenants living in, in other houses, which is also an important income stream for the farm. Yeah. We have the forestry side of the farm, which is separate from our forestry business, which okay. is a separate company. Okay. But the farm has 130 acres of woodland, which is all actively managed. We also have a shooting enterprise, so that's particularly busy during the shooting season, but really from July when pheasant poules arrive, and all year round there's, there's some management for the shooting season and then very active from the beginning of November till the end of January we also have a livery business horses which I'm solely responsible for so they're they're very busy (laughs) and I talked about the family and the community on bad and skill as well earlier but there's a wider community which is important to us we have strong links to the wider community Mm -hmm. And people who don't live on the farm, we have huge public access. We have Duke of Edinburgh children coming almost every weekend in the summer. We have close links with the outdoor centre in West Linton, who will come and set up camps sometimes. For about is it three weeks, six weeks in wow. the summer? Yeah. Scouts brownies, guides? Scouts, brownies, not. guides. Next month um, I'm organising a pleasure hunt and picnic ride for Pony Club. We have the Endurance Riding Club um, comes over our farm as well when they organise events. It's just non-stop. We, yes, <laughs> we have a reservoir. And so we have close links with the local angling club and we keep their diary for the fishing. That's exciting as well. Yeah. They're about to Um, stock the reservoir with rainbow trout, and that's a a very exciting project which is just about to start so it's keeping all these different enterprises or groups or interests happy and accommodating everyone we love to share the place where we live with others we open our garden to the public Mm -hmm. to raise money for charity so that's another thing Bush. yeah um, there's not really a quiet season for you then it's
0: Sounds like you all sort of roll at the you know the summer camping and they all walking into the shooting and you know it all rolls into one and then we know yeah. your you're lambing and yeah. back, yes. back to the summer
1: again yeah well while, while gavin and i are busy welcoming groups of scouts or school groups or Pony Club to come and enjoy balance skill. Josephine is very busy running around behind them. shutting running over the gates for the So <laughs> An
0: endless and cyclical task, isn't it?
1: <laughs> and Gran, and gran, I wonder if you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> we love them.
3: We just wish that they would shut the gate and yeah, not walk <laughs>
1: in the centre of the heath. And Brad, yeah. yeah. and, and, yeah. and Gran walks around with a walking stick, picking up their litter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and 91, she's still got a very active job as well. As yes, and yeah, she takes yeah. it very seriously. Very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, very seriously. <laughs> so that's maybe a good time to move on to your role in the business venture. So if you want to tell us a little bit about your background and how did you end up here at Badding's Gill?
3: Um, I ended up here at Baden's Gill. The job opportunity I came up, I was, what, seven months, eight months pregnant, single mum, out of vet school. And somehow the marshals employed me. I had no sheep them. experience. <laughs> <laughs> I had eight pet sheep at home. I somehow convinced them that I could upscale to one thousand four hundred, um, and we, which, never, we did. And we <laughs> have never regretted that decision. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, it was uh, it wasn't where I was planning on, on my future career going. But it is perfection. I love
0: my job. How long have you been here? When did you come um, here?
3: Three years on the fourth of July okay. Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs>
0: So your background in veterinary work, then, how do you feel that helps you in your day-to-day role?
3: Definitely puts a scientific slant on the sheep. Coming in as a young female with a baby in tow. I have felt that I've had to prove myself to neighbours, to people I talk to, people at market, people... People just... I'm not an older man, basically. And I think that in order to gain the respect, I have had to start from the bottom and work up. Doing things differently as well has made people sometimes question a lot of what we're doing here. But I think that as rec- well, we've been recording everything here. We've we've changed a number of things. We can prove that it's worked, and it's definitely. Definitely all well, heading in the right
0: direction. <laughs> so when you came here so it'd be like twenty sixteen or something, was it when you came here then? What did it you was see? July twenty sixteen. July twenty sixteen. So what did you see about the farm and how have things changed since then? Like what did you say? What were your first impressions?
3: A lot of sheep. <laughs> <laughs> so were there uh, the same like, numbers back then as there are now? Yeah, we yeah. well we we took a hit from with the beast from the east last year. Yeah. Um, was last we've year? been trying to increase our flock um, numbers, but yeah, we believe well there was theft going on previously to starting. We're still sort of sitting at the same numbers even though we're trying to build the numbers up. We've we've taken a number of hits. Yeah, the carrying capacity of the hill is roughly 1,400. We put 1,050 to the top last year with our 250 replacement breeding stock coming into the system as well. When I started here, I was possibly a little over-ambitious about some of the ideas that I had. Sort of just... We just want to make it work. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this before. One thousand pounds. How hard can this
0: be? hard. It, out, right? it turns Yeah, quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> but so, if you feel so, like you're having, to, <laughs> if you're having to prove yourself, or feel that like you have to prove yourself, then it's sometimes you can be, you know, overly ambitious. You know, yeah.
3: So to get there. I, I made myself a calendar of all the things that had to happen over the course of the year. I've changed things, altered things, added things in, taken things out. Um, amalgamated certain gathers like now we do the shearing and the marking of the lambs at the same gather we didn't dip the first year I came that was a disaster now we dip I've changed all of the breeding on the top side I have I think when I started here the idea was to just produce lambs that we go into the into into market and we've totally working with the younger generation here we've totally changed the way we would like the farm to run, and ideally now we want to sell 100% of our lambs, our male lambs, into meat boxes. Okay. Um, and we want to t- tighten up the type of the female replacement breeding stock, so that stock that we do not want to keep, we're able to sell privately, essentially. So you keeping all your own um, replacements, or
0: do you buy some in as well?
3: This year, unfortunately, we've had to keep everything because of the effects from the Beast of the East. Um, But we do not want to be keeping all of them. We want to be able to select the the much
0: better ones. So you you mentioned doing some recording. Do you do performance recording for... We do,
3: yeah. And what what sort of things do you look for? I've got... the The year after I started... Well, sort of the autumn of the year that I started here, I took 250... Of the, of the breeding ewes um, into a trial, into a billows trial, and I've continued taking condition scores and weights off them at every gather, along with the parity of the lactation, how many lambs they have, how successful they are at raising those lambs, the daily life weight gain of those lambs based on the gathers. And obviously you're restricted because it's a hill situation here. So I get information off them once a month, but it gives me some idea of how to correlate that information to the condition score of the ewe, which gives me some idea of the type of ewes that actually perform on our hill. And how that links into the hefts because mm-hmm. we, because our, our sheep are hefted here. We run on, on five different groups of sheep that are. I don't know how you describe a heft to someone who doesn't know. They just they stay on that land. Wherever you put them on the hill, they will go back to that land. And That's very corial. Yeah, yeah. And it's very much learned behaviour from the mother. Like if you go out to the hill system, I'll see because I've got my use are covered in colours that that I know what they mean. But anybody else think they've been to a paint party? Um, but, <laughs> but they... If I go out, I'll be able to see a ewe that's, you know, she's with three generations of her her female lambs out there. You know, they're all sort of in a a zone. They very much pass on, you know, where to go when when it's snowy, where to go when the wind's coming from a certain direction, where to go when the hill's really dry and they need water. But most importantly for a system where it's on 4,000 unfenced acres, which direction to go when you want to bring them in? Because... If you bought in sheep and you went to go and do the gather and you went round their boundary and you whistled, they wouldn't move, <laughs> whereas ours all head in. So. Yeah, they know
0: where they're going. Yeah. It's that learned and inherited behaviour, isn't it? Yeah. So they know where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the bolus this trial there, so what What were you bolusing? For?
3: What I was Why? looking at, we bolus the sheep here. When I when I started here, it was bolusing. We bolused. I don't really like bolusing. You can do a lot of damage to the, to the throat bolusing and it's very stressful for the sheep. Um, So, we blood tested that year to see whether it was required, and I ran a trial looking at three different boluses to look at how long the elements, how long the minerals actually lasted within the sheep, and also how those sheep performed, whether there was any difference in the sheep that that the control study that had no boluses as well. um, Turned out there wasn't any difference that year. However, following the beast from the east this lambing time, we've had, we seem to have had a sort of subclinical iodine deficiency grumbling away in the background, which probably because the, the sheep are quite physiologically stressed with the weather systems that we had last year. Um, I will be going in and bullising, even just the thinner and the, and the ones that will be coming through as twins this year. So it just it, it, that was sort of what started all the recording, was just it gave me something to look at and monitor. Um, but those sheep, I'm still, even though that, that trial is finished, I'm still monitoring and colostrum quality with refractometers, lamb growth rates. When when you've got 1,400 sheep coming in through the system, you don't even know where to start. When you're, and and, and it all happens in a week. We gather in a week. We don't have the holding area for them. You keep them in for over a week, and you've got sheep in the woods and the hayfields yeah. and the gardens. Um, they they just they yeah. have zero respect for fencing and ducks. <laughs> <once they've
1: eaten laughs> what they want to eat. All um, I can remember of your first <laughs> weeks or months here was. Just going around saying, they're cheeky monkeys! They're cheeky monkeys! They're being so
3: naughty. They can be so naughty. Um, I guess you should enter some of them for the Grand National, because, my God, when you see them jump, they just walk at a wall and then take it from Stan's Yeah, But no, um it's all got to happen in a week, so you, you, I very much need a plan before a gather because if you want to do things during, during that week where you've got them all in and you're working flat out and you've got a team of people lined up and you're very much working with the weather because my pens are on the side of the hill, being able to record this information, having on paper what these sheep are doing because they, they come in once a month and it's very easy to just get into the mindset of we just have to get through these sheep before they start sleeping and stop actually looking at what you're doing. Whereas having these 250 sheep in the in the trial, and I've also got 150 of last year's hogs coming in, and then 200 of the lambs from this year in the system as well now, it just means that you actually have to stop. You actually have to look at what's happening. You can link that into the weather. I can link that into you know to changes in management, and it's just very interesting. I mean, you see the sheep. It's just a sheep, but actually that sheep's lost eight kilograms. that maintained the same condition score since she came in, and that was something I never thought would be possible. Mm -hmm. But and then you start thinking, why? What's on the hill? Why has that happened? What stage is she at in her lactation? Are there things that we could do that could stop that that weight loss? And it's very much heft based as well. Like what you know, the west side is 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 mostly on. On heather, and they, they drop a lot of weight, but their lambs are flying. Whereas on the, on the high end, which is another one of our heaths, which is mostly grass, those sheep are much more consistent in their weight, but the lambs are always sort of five kilograms, ten kilograms behind. Have you have got, you got to the bottom of that seed? yet or is that still a... Still, still looking at it, I think it's. I think that it is because of a winter because um, we have a gamekeeper who does quite a lot of burning on our hill and also, well, historically Calvin's done quite a lot of cutting as well. I think that over the winter the west side has got shoots of heather coming in which is managed for the grouse, which the sheep are able to eat away at and it keeps, it keeps their condition scores constant so the, lam- the developing lambs have a much more consistent plane of nutrition Whereas on on the on the high end where it's grass that dies back over the winter, so the sheep lose condition but can maintain the weight. I don't know how that works, but they do on paper. Um, and that loss in condition score seems to be much more influential to the to the lamb growth rate in the utero. So that when the lamb is born, it's actually almost on a back foot already. Yeah. So going forwards, there's things like I'd like to put out stock blocks on that hill. The problem is that I don't want to pull the cows around there because I don't want the cows to break into yeah, the into okay. the field. But it's just it's things. This, this monitoring, I mean, we're only three years into it, but it, it's hopefully going you know, to allow me to be much more proactive in management decisions because you can sort of anticipate what's happening. I mean, we're still building a picture. Three years of information is, is not very much.
2: But Especially when we've been hit by... Yeah,
3: we yeah, had I mean, extreme weather, weather yeah. events
2: yeah.
0: as well in the middle. So do you carry out any, carry any
2: supplementary feeding on the
0: hill?
3: Um, no, we don't do any supplementary feeding here for the majority of the flock. The youths that scan in March as twins and those which are below target condition score, they come in and they get ad-lib, hay and haylage, which is all made on site here. And they get supplementary trace element blocks and some stock blocks as well.
0: So do you keep them down on, yes, in, in, in the Yes, those are the only sheep right?
3: that we keep in at that point. Yeah, everything else does, does itself off the hill. And do you lamb up on the hill, generally, or do you bring them in? A- no, we tend to just leave them completely as they are on the hill to get on with it. Nothing, wheel- nothing
1: lambs inside. Okay, no, nothing, nothing lambs inside.
3: Okay. What we're trying very much to do here is is, is, built, is breed sheep that can do it unassisted, which I didn't really believe could probably happen. A lot of my experience pre-coming here was lambing Texel Suffolk crosses and sheds where you are lambing every single thing. This year I helped two sheep lamb. And they were both first-time lambs with narrower pelvises. Everything else has done it itself. This year has been a good year, yes, but even last year, that's not where the time is going. It, it, it's a massive, massive labor saving if you can have sheep that do it
0: themselves. So, yeah, so what we're trying to do is breed sheep that can that can do it themselves. On the hill. And we've we've not really we've mentioned the cattle but um, we don't know anything about them so how, what sort of cattle have you got how many have you got we you have, you have the best cows to really we? <laughs> they <laughs> <laughs> what, what breed have you
1: got and, and they live independently on the hill yeah as okay. well. I went
3: to find them yesterday couldn't find them <laughs>
1: <laughs> we've got we got yeah, Highland cows Okay. Yeah, and how, the how the many have you
3: got we've got seven breeding females and followers at foot so yeah
1: so are and they breed? are we sell the progeny through our land boxes, which suddenly become beef boxes. Okay. They're Limited edition beef like, boxes. under
3: 24 hours we sell I think it was five,
1: about five hours last time we yeah. sold an entire cow, um, yeah. which
0: is amazing. So, since we're talking about the, the meat boxes and things, Anna, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about meat boxes, how they came about, who's involved, what you do? Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, two years ago, myself and my husband, my sister-in-law and her husband, and Josie, Club together and started a little business selling boxes of our lamb and our beef, as we've mentioned, online. The idea was that we wanted to create a more reliable income stream for the farm, albeit a small one to start off with, so that we could better plan for cash flow, etc., uh, and not be so reliant on the fluctuating prices at market. We also wanted to get to a point where we had a relationship with the consumer they can watch what they're doing, we can be open and transparent about how much we care about the animals and they can buy from us with confidence, we can get their feedback, we, ha- we actually have a relationship with the people who are eating our meat which is something that a lot of farmers don't get at all. For example if you're selling to the supermarket you, you very very rarely meet the end user um, so it's a really rewarding way of selling our meat and we try our very best to Make sure that people know where their meat's come from, who's looked after it, and how well it's been looked after.
3: But I think as well, a very important thing for me is the year that I started. We just sold everything wean straight off, straight off the ewe, straight, straight off the hill, and there just isn't a market for them at market, um, and yeah. they go for pennies. Nobody's interested in blackface sheep, whereas they really should be because they form part of a system which you know keeps people in rural businesses. it you know, it's low impact meat. Um, it's you know, it's packed full of flavour, packed full of nutrients, and there really should be a market for it. And so, what we've tried to create is is, is a local market for for what is really a supreme product. Absolutely, uh, it is the ultimate. It in... shouldn't be being sold for
2: pennies. So, yes, yes. So.
1: I think you suddenly realised that was the group of you you had people with the skills and talents required to launch this little business yeah no we're very lucky so obviously
2: we have josie who is our sheep guru and everything sheep related runs through josie but she also does a huge amount of running around taking sheep to the abattoir picking them up from the butcher helping pack the boxes all that side of things josie does incredibly well uh, my brother-in-law, Andy, is a graphic designer and web designer, so he is vital to the running of the enterprise. He does a lot of the admin side of the business as well. Laura does a lot of the childcare, which is, as we've spoken about before, is vital to us actually being able to do this at all, and helps with the finances. Nick is the business head of the meat boxes. He comes up with the ideas a lot of the time, and he helps keep us on track. He's really he's really business-minded, and, and it, it's... It's helpful just to have someone who's a little bit more removed can look and say, guys, you need to rein this bit in or you need to. we could be doing a bit more in this area. But Um, as well,
3: he's he's created that master spreadsheet that gives me information about what our lands are making being sold through the land business. So he can get up for me in a second a price that we are making this week for our land should it go through the land box. So I can go to market and I can say, if I do not meet that price... We're not selling that lot. Yeah, okay. So it gives, it, it's already, even with it being smaller numbers, although the money is trickling constantly, it gives us the power and it gives us, it gives us the, authority, the market. Yeah. That it gives that you a choice can, that we as We can well. avoid fluctuations in market price and we can know exactly what we could make and can yeah. make. So
2: what, um, what uh, Sorry, what can, been can been I say um, what my role is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 is right? Um I. So my background is in marketing, um, and so that's, that's sort of what I do for the business, but I also do a lot of the admin side of it as well. So I work with Josie on the social media side. Though I have to say 95% of the social media is entirely Josie's doing, and she does a fantastic job of it. But we do other things like having stalls at our local village market or our village uh, rideout out festival. We do leafleting, we do flyering. We do things like this, try and just some talks and we do like you've story, done a range yeah. of talks we're looking at um, getting some media training for Jersey in the next few months as well, and applying for prizes and things as well. so all these things you never you can never justify marketing in terms of expenditure, but I think you've taken in the overall picture and it all it all contributes massively.
0: yeah, you seem to have a, a great following on social media, and I think as you were saying it's it's connecting the consumer to what you're producing hey. How do you measure, measure the success of what you're doing with the meat boxes? Like, How, how do you know that you're that you're getting to where
2: you want to be? Do you set yourself targets? We set ourselves quite ambitious targets. I'm looking at you, Josie, to see if you agree <laughs> with me on this one. So Josie mentioned earlier that ideally, longer term, we want to think about trying to get 100% of our sheep of our lamb sold through our meat boxes. That is sort of a, a big audacious goal, but what we like to be is flexible about that as well, and as Josie said, if we can get a better price at market, then we'll sell them at market. Yeah. We just want to do what's what's going to bring in the most money for the farm. In terms of tracking how well we're doing, we have six monthly
1: team meetings, and Elaine I think helps with those as well. <laughs> <coughs> I think we track quite closely, we track finances, very closely. Yeah, and I sit at my computer keeping very quiet about lamb boxes until I suddenly pop up and bite your heads off and say have you noticed those sales didn't make money and then I pop back into my hole again and get on with it and so every now and again well quite often I pop up and say well done your business is doing very well this month. We well, are on in our
3: second year of trading and we sold a third of our lamb crop right. through lamb boxes. So we we are definitely working
1: towards our uh, our
3: audacious goal. I don't think it's too ambitious. And I think we
2: just keep it growing slowly. We don't want to, because we have limited sheep on the farm, we have limited limited stock that we can sell through the boxes. So we want to just gradually build it as we gradually build our flock as well. Um, Not get too ahead of ourselves and keep it, like you were saying about sustainability, keep it as a sustainable business model. Now, so what sort of challenges do you think might come up in the future for
0: the meat box side of things, for example?
2: Well, we already have some challenges, as any farmer does at the moment, with um, vegan activism, with um, people who see farmers as being detrimental to the environment. And I think and hope that we are helping to counter those opinions with a lot of the communications that we do through our social media and through our land boxes. That is something that we are continuing to work on. So, for example, our our packaging for our lamb boxes is mainly cardboard and insulated by sheep's wool rather than polystyrene. So we can take we we need to take a bit more, do a bit more research and find some even more environmentally friendly solutions and make that as close to environmentally no impact as possible. Um, all of our sheep, all of our lambs are. Butchered and slaughtered within forty miles of the farm, which sounds pretty good, but I think we can do better. I think we can bring that mileage in closer. Hopefully, if um, smaller abattoirs can start to reopen, then we can get more low, keep that circle even smaller. And I think we just got to keep shouting about this and keep showing people that we are doing the right thing. Um, But like many farmers, we we do receive some pretty horrible messages online. That is the issue with putting yourself out there online. You make yourself a target. Um, we've had death threats from vegan. Mm-hmm. Actors. I don't want to. I don't want to black name all vegans. That's not what I'm trying to do. But in this case, particularly, it was it was somebody who claimed to be vegan.
3: But I mean, this this week, our, our Facebook posts have reached over twenty two thousand people of engagement. Over twenty two thousand people, and we've received one negative comment. Yeah. So I think we are generally the public are putting supportive. It, yeah, yeah putting out a, putting out yeah. an I- ideology. Well, not even an ideology, putting out what we do and it's very well received. Yeah, if we just Um, keep telling the
2: truth then. That's that that's the truth.
3: That's what I'm that's what my my view on the social media is creating a transparent platform that people can access to see exactly what goes into producing food and why food should be worth the price that people do not want to pay for it.
2: The true Um, value
3: of of the because producing food that costs a bit more, you know, you are paying for, you know, you're paying for the fact that we can't use the hill parks at certain times of the year because the weed isn't there. You're paying for the fact that we don't use fertilisers on our fields, but as a result we've got massively, you know, biodiverse plant species out there. Like the weekend I was out taking photographs of some of the plant species that are out there and we've got over, over 15 varieties of flowers and over like I think it was like, 11 or 12 varieties of grass just in one area of one of the hay fields, um, And, you know, that's, that's massively attractive for your pollinators, butterflies. You know, your, your, your swallows and house martens will be coming in, taking those insects as well. So the cost of food is not necessarily just... And I think that's what we're actually working on on social media, is it is not just the sheep. It is a, the sheep fit into a much bigger picture. And the cost of food has got to support that bigger picture for sustainability, I think.
0: Now, in terms of feedback from your customers it must be nice as you say to be able to actually speak to them about what you're producing whereas when you sell at the market that's the end of the transaction you don't want to that's one the of the nicest
1: bits we
2: get on. people going best lamb in the pentland hills yeah. so. <laughs> or <laughs> even best lamb i've ever even when they're not talking about the lamb boxes so we get a huge amount of interaction on our facebook page and even if they're not customers we're constantly getting amazing feedback from people mm. who are appreciating our transparency and mm. Josie's level of information that she's able to express to people. Uh, People who are learning about sheep in a way that they... And not just the sheep, the farm generally, the land that we're in, the Pentland Hills, the biodiversity... All of those things we talk about, and people, I think in a lot of ways, we're breaking all the conventions of social media because people say you sh- your posts should be concise and short and eye catching. And so, and Josie has beautiful pictures and then writes huge screen <laughs> <Essays>, yeah. <laughs> huge, huge messages. <laughs> and for ages, I was like, no, no, she must keep these short. But the engagement we're getting is fantastic, and people are really responding to this in depth often quite technical information about sheep and about our way of farming and it's it shows that there's a real appetite for from the consumer to understand more of what's going on in farm but
3: even not necessarily just the consumer it's it's a lot of what we're pushing on our social media side is is a way of farming an inclusive way of farming I, I quote Gavin here Gavin Gavin mentioned to me once that he likes to think of us as custodians of the land and I love that term because we are very much just looking after it for for the next generation, for the public, for the animals, and for the wildlife that all live here, and trying to farm in a way that has low impact on all of these things and allows all of these things to thrive be it, you know, Duke of Edinburgh yes, children well, or
1: be it the curlews. I think it's, it. it's all about the habitat, yeah. whether it's the heather on the hill for the west side sheep or the grass on the hill, you're looking after, or we're all looking after the habitat, and without that habitat, your sheep wouldn't thrive, you wouldn't have a, a shoot, a fire, all the, the wildlife. It's, it's very much tied in with the hill, with the woodlands, for all the, all the creatures that, that live here. Yeah, I think
0: that's what's so great about your social media, you're not just selling your product all the time. In fact, most of your posts are just informing the public about what you're doing. I think you had one up today about waders, or maybe it was yesterday, Mm, about the wading birds and and how important they are to the farm and and biodiversity and things. So it's really good to see and refreshing, to see someone that's pushing a product the whole time. There's huge
1: excitement in the last few weeks. with everyone here about the waders? Yeah,
3: because we've never had Kylie's before. I mean, this is the first year that we've... Well, this is the first year... The lapwings, this this is the first year that I've been here since lapwings have been here. Apparently
1: they were here before. The oyster um, catchers
3: come, come every year. The oyster catchers come every year. What do you think changed? We did a reseed. We reseed okay. one of the fields and created a big open area, which apparently is a magnet to
0: them.
1: For the lapwings, yeah. Um, for the... For but the having, having seen yeah. how the open area of newly ploughed ground... Attracted all these new waders. Next year we will probably oh, just go yeah. and plough a bit of land and leave it, yeah. to see to yeah. keep that going.
2: But I think we received grant
1: funding to um,
2: help promote our environment for birds yeah. like the waders. So is that an agro environment question? Yeah, okay.
3: But I think one of the things as well, which is quite important to Bansgill, because it runs alongside tree line, is is everybody here tends to love trees. Whereas if you look at Bansgill from the sky, it's very much a mosaic of habitats. And I think actually trees can work with... Well, trees do work with waders because we are, like I think you said, 180?
1: 130 acres of woodland.
3: And and it's all, you know, it's the, the, it's mature um, native trees. There's some plantations. There's some young young areas of growth as well. And I think having these habitats close to each other actually works really well because it provides... Talking about waders, because I love waders, it provides the habitat, the feeding grounds for the adults, right next to the, the shelter for, for the chick. If you stand on the dam, you've got the marshland, you've got the heather, you've got the moor, the peat moor, you've got native woodland, you've got plantations, you've got the seeds, you've got um, hill parks, you've got the hay fields, all within.
2: And game crops. You know?
1: and, and the
3: game crops, all within, like, what, 500 metres squared, all feeding into each other? And I think that I think we are quite unique in that. Um,
1: and the habitats yeah. which are we're looking after for the pheasants mm-hmm. and our shooting enterprise are good for all the other birds yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so where you look after the ground for for pheasants, it attracts other other species. Yeah. Just talking about sustainability and biodiversity
0: and things. There've been lots in the press recently about climate change. We've talked about hard winters like Beast from the East and these things that um, can affect farming businesses, how important is sustainability to you and how do you plan for events like that in the future?
2: I'm not not quite sure how to respond. Well, there isn't a future in farming if it isn't sustainable. Um, I think where we're very fortunate is that although Josie is bringing in a lot of new techniques, our essential farming methods have remained the same for hundreds of years, and that shows that it's sustainable. Yeah. Uh, it proves the sustainability of how we do it. By that I mean the hefted nature of our sheep, the open-hill and breeding sheep to look after themselves. All these things feed into a sustainable model that should keep us going for several more hundred years.
3: Yeah. We just need to create a way to fund
2: it, which is hopefully through the land box business. In
3: terms of species sustainability, though... It's there are. I mean, the National Biodiversity Network has listed 1,900 species in a five-kilometre area, I believe that's right, of this farm. And Mm. that is what they have seen. I mean, yes, they listed one pheasant, which is
0: inaccurate. (laughs) (laughs)
3: One recording of a pheasant. They have seen all those species here. So, I mean, in terms of the way that we're farming, we're farming in a sustainable way that is encouraging these, you know, this... There's multitude of other species yes, to live everything alongside. In we are not you know, we try and manage our, our, our hills so that, you know, we can mitigate water runoff. I mean, yesterday we had we had severe flooding, you know, with rain like no one has ever seen here before, but you know, we don't we don't overgraze, you know, we've got trees which help to siphon off water at the top of the water table, you know. We are we are trying to make sure that the way that we farm has minimal impact. I think
1: because the farm has been in the same family for several generations, we had our, our a theory. theory in 2012. Um, decisions are always made taking the long view. What will be advantageous over the long term? Decisions are never made over the short because we we feel confident that children and grandchildren should be able to to enjoy the farm and be part of of an ongoing um, enterprise and and lifestyle. So so that's important. And that allows you to to think of sustainability. When you plant a tree... It's fine if that prematures matures in time for, for your grandchild to cut it down.
2: We're in the course, fortunate a position for that we
1: are not on a tenanted farm
2: yeah. uh, and there is other generations that mm. look like they're coming mm. through. Yes.
1: Great. That was nice. That was very touching, <laughs> Elaine. <laughs> um,
2: the term
0: women in agriculture is relatively new. I'm going to ask you all, possibly start with you, Elaine, do you think there's a need for women in agriculture only events and publicity like we're doing today?
1: I think they're great. I think it's It's really good. I think there is a need for these events and for women in agriculture to not feel that they're in a minority or that their only job is to be in the house cooking large meals for men who are doing doing the work The real work, yeah. There's there's a
2: place and time for that as well, but, (laughs) but it doesn't mean that it's a marginal part of the role. It's a major part of the role. So do you yeah. think, in the time that
0: you've been involved in the farm here, that the attitudes towards women in agriculture have changed? Like, for 30 years ago, would you have had a female shepherdess, for example?
1: Or there probably wouldn't have been any female shepherdesses applying for the for the job. Right. There's been a shift in attitude of the women themselves as well as
0: the employers, you think?
1: I think that shift is, is still happening, but yeah. it, it is happening... Um, It was interesting, last year I had a visit to our accountants and they happened to mention another farming family who had one son and two daughters and they'd always thought it was good that they had the son to take over the farm but the son had gone off and done something completely different and the two daughters were vying with each other to see which one of them was going to take over the farm. And so I think there are more and more women coming into agriculture, and also with the accent on environmental issues and looking after the countryside, women are really interested in, in that sort of thing. They're not so interested in getting a huge tractor and a big combine harvester. I totally um, back this, I <laughs> hate driving tractors, <the> tractor. Just <laughs> as well you're in a hill farm then. <laughs> but you're pretty handy on a tractor as well, Jessie. Yeah, okay, well Nick drives it between the fields for me and <laughs> <laughs> I
0: drive it around the fields.
1: <laughs> when it comes to managing a farm in an environmental manner and, and looking after the, the, the environmental side of things, I think women are really good at that they they're very good at seeing the big picture and, and uh, we should probably fess up and say that we've known each other for a
0: long time longer I uh, met each other first day freshers week in university in aberdeen and <laughs> um, when i met you then you were going out with nick but uh, never did i think in 12 years time we'd be sitting here talking about farming and um, our, our lives have converged again they have it's yeah good. so how how is it for you being like an outsider if you like not from a farming background? being a woman, having a child, doing a job in the city and um, being on the farm. What's it like being a woman in agriculture right here?
2: I, I love it. I would be here every day, all day if I could. Uh, that may not be the same for all women. I completely recognise that our style of life is not for everyone. Yeah. But for me personally, I absolutely love it. I, I think I still struggle, as many women do, with the long hours that my husband often has to do and the you know, working whenever the work needs done, be that weekends, be that nine o'clock at night, that sometimes is frustrating, especially once you have children and you want your children to see their daddy. But I think, regardless of your background, you probably share that frustration yeah. at times.
0: So being, like, a new new entrant, if you like, do you think there's opportunities for you
2: to get out there and learn the things that you feel you need to learn about farming? Yeah, I think there is absolutely an option to that. The, for me, the most enjoyable thing about this land box business that we've started is that it has forced me into position to having to learn about the farm in a way that I otherwise probably wouldn't have done for years and years and years and years um every single one of Josie's Facebook posts I learn something from every time we have a meeting and we sit down and we look at the finances I learn more about how the farm works as a whole and it's been a really great sort of foot in the door and an introduction to farming more generally for me yeah, you're learning on the job. So Josie,
0: being um, sort of a new entrant to farming, you said you're not from a farming background, you're from veterinary school straight into a farm. You said earlier on that you felt you've had to prove yourself in a way that you maybe wouldn't have had to if you were a 60-year-old male <laughs> shepherd. <laughs> what do you feel it's like being a woman in agriculture at the moment?
3: Selling our lambs the way that they were sold when I took over the farm meant going to market, I found market intimidating. A lot of older men... Very few women, um, and I didn't feel like I was being taken very seriously. Having the Landbox business, being able to show that we are, what we're selling is, is brilliant, and, and it's given me the confidence to know that we are capable of doing this. It doesn't matter that I'm a young female, I'm still doing the job. But this is a hard question. <laughs> do you feel more confident in
0: your role now? Is it just a time thing or do you think it's yes, experience? I experience?
3: Yes, I feel, I feel much more confident three years in than I did a year ago. I would, at this point, feel comfortable pulling up contractors on things that they were doing. Whereas when I started, I would have second-guessed myself, doubted myself. You know, they're a man, they know what they're doing, I'll just shut up. No, I know what I'm doing, these are my sheep, you will do it my way. Or you will go away.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a growing sense quite recently of a sisterhood of um, women involved in farming, particularly online. Mm-hmm. We've got quite a few, a uh, sort of group of female followers, and I think we all do a lot of sort of supporting each other, albeit virtually. Um, but yeah. there, does, there is this growing sense that, that we're all there for each other and we're all applauding what we're achieving. I think
0: that's the thing with agriculture isn't it um it's a very isolated job a lot of the time uh, due to location of, often and um, but having young children which you both both do and um, i think the tiny shepherd got his own hashtag he should, you should do, do, it, should do he should just should <laughs> <do that. laughs> <laughs> so such fun. He the tiny
3: yes, shepherd
0: yes people do dress up as him <laughs> i saw that yeah, yeah. that's the best um so he pops up a lot on your social media feed you know. yes. having having children and working in farming can be Lonely and tricky. So how do you how do you manage that, Josie? We'll start with you. Obviously, being outdoor physical job, how do you manage childcare with with what your job is?
3: Um, a lot better now. Now that he's old enough to go to nursery, a lot of the pressure has been taken off. I remember this time last year, Gavin was taking fence posts up to have the march fence done, and it was seven o'clock in the evening. And it was a beautiful evening, and all I wanted to do was go and help. But you are chained to the house with a young child, yeah. and you are a single parent. And I felt like, I felt at times I couldn't do my job properly because there are things you just cannot do with a baby in tow. Um, And yeah, I think that now that he is at Early Learners, it has created mornings, five, five mornings a week working with Laura as well, where I can... I can be the shepherd I want to be
2: yeah. <laughs> without a baby. Yeah. Um, that said, there really is fantastic Yeah, in with anything that's going on.
3: Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Yes. He, and we knew. He knows how to use a pitchfork. <laughs> he's two years old. <laughs> <laughs> and I
1: have four children, so we knew when Josie started that it would be an ever changing landscape, that she would be. Working, it first was a little baby is quite easy because just you, sling.
3: I remember drawing rounds with him. Just
1: yes, you you, just sling. you did everything with him. Popped into yeah. into yeah. A, a sling. Yeah. You must have developed very strong back muscles. they to start toddling it when it's then it gets difficult. <laughs> yeah, and then once they started nursery, it gets easier it's again. Yeah. And, and we always knew it was going to be like that.
3: Yeah, I mean there are there are downsides to him being a completely practical mimic of myself. Um, he knows how to use various items like spray cans. I'm having <laughs> <laughs> have him watched me spray paint my sheep, so I just went off and soon him spray paint Gareth's wardrobe, which oh, no. the interior, which, the Land the interior oh, of the wardrobe, oh. the Land bright pink. <laughs> 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 It's like that's what mummy does. Okay. No, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, we can now laugh about
0: it. Yeah. <laughs> <the insurance> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah, and Anna, you've got uh, a younger child. Do you uh, guess Emily's one and a half? And working in town some days a week. Yeah. So how do you juggle all
2: that with your role in the business as well? Um, there's quite a lot of working late at night. Yeah. Uh, Josie, you do this as well. Quite a lot of those Facebook posts are written at. scheduled at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of waiting for them to go to bed, uh, waiting for them to go for a nap, <laughs> generally hoping that they'll have a sleep. Um, fortunately, with the way the land box business, with my role in the land box business, it sort of comes in fortnightly cycles. So I can plan. I, I know that once a fortnight I need to sit down and I need to spend an hour and a half doing. Um, Facebook marketing posts, Instagram marketing posts, writing up invoices, drawing all the orders together, emailing the butchers. Those sorts of things, they're very, very scheduled and I I generally know how long they're going to take me. So that makes things a lot easier. Um, Emily's also a bit like Ruri. She's quite happy to be involved as long as anyone's willing to have her. So whether that's uh, riding around on farm vehicles with Daddy, taking the dog for a walk, splashing in the puddles, as long as She's outdoors, she's delighted, um, so she makes it quite easy, really.
0: Elaine, what is it that drives you personally? Why, why do you do what you do and what do you love about
1: it? I just love making sure that everything works together and that each person in the team is able to do their job and um, sort of coordinating everything, whether it's our Baden School community... And, or the wider community and how they all interact. I I find that interesting and fun and rewarding and throughout it trying to keep enough money in the bank to keep it all ticking over. At the end of the day it's it's not the money in the bank that is the most important thing. It's making sure that the whole business thrives and, and works and to feel that we're providing a, a home, a lifestyle for all these people and, and going forward and looking to the future.
0: Um, Anna, what what drives you and what makes you ambitious about the future?
2: I don't know if it's because I'm a new entrant to farming but I still see so much romance in farming, I still get so excited about everything still, I, you know, my heart races when I see a tractor or a quad bike. I still get that level of excitement like a child. Everything is just really engaging to me. Um, and I don't, maybe that isn't the case if you've been in farming your entire life. Maybe it is. But I, I'm just so looking forward to raising a family in this environment. It's not an environment I ever imagined I would be raising a family in. And I feel so lucky and so privileged to be here. And be part of that, and be part of the, like Elaine says, the community that works here, that produces food for people in the UK to eat. It's an amazing thing to be a part of.
0: Great, and Josie, what what drives you, and why do, why are you doing what you're doing?
3: It's just it feels right. <laughs> um, driving up the Babbinsville Road when you've been away, and you just. You just go from busy roads, towns, villages, and then you just hit open moor. It's just, it's coming home. And um, um, it's not open moor, I say open moor, it's packed with, with everything, you know, friendly neighbours, um, wildlife, sheep. I, I love what I do. Um, I love being a part of this, this place, these, these ambitions and dreams that other people have, working as a team.
2: Inspire, I think we inspire each other yeah. um, so I never egg each we, other on Yeah, do I never, never thought that, we
3: would, that I would be here having achieved what I have at this point in my life. It's, very, it's a very supportive place to be.
0: Thank you for listening to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. For more information about the Farm Advisory Service, including the Women in Agriculture work, go to www.fas.scot.